uh, this morning's message from the Word of God. You know, I've definitely had those times in my life uh, where I've had tension and battles and fighting and wars. You know, at times it's sometimes it's with other people. You know, I remember in a post-high school job that I had that there was this coworker and I, and we just didn't get along. You know, we kind of had one of these relationships. We were completely different personalities. We did things completely different. And so we always had tension between us. She made my life very difficult, and, and, and I'm sure I made her life very difficult. I've even had fighting with myself. You know, sometimes it's over very small things like, you should go exercise. But I don't want to. But you should. But it's cold outside. Is it really that cold? Well, my back hurts. You know, so there's all these excuses, right? So sometimes it's those small battles, but sometimes it's large battles. Doing things that I know I shouldn't do or not doing things I know I should do. I've even had experienced many seasons in my life with fighting and battling and wrestling with God. You know, before coming to join you all here at First Alliance, my wife and I, we were in this season of limbo, a season of being in the desert and just waiting for God to move and to open doors. That didn't happen within our time frame. So God and I wrestled a lot and we fought, you know, over what's he doing and what's going on. How about you? Are you tired of fighting? Are you tired of the constant conflict going on in your life and in the world around you? I didn't even mention the battles that are taking place around us. You know, in politics, there's constant fighting and tension between parties and ideas and decisions, and, and everything is fought over, and half the nation agrees and half hates it. Everyone has an opinion they'd need to share. Nation versus nation fighting. Simple hatred of one another's by one another's background or just one's way of life leads to wars. There's racial fighting around us. People are not being seen, heard. They're being stepped on. We have fighting between the rich and the poor, boss and employee, where one feels unappreciated, used, undervalued. We have physical fighting in our neighborhoods and our communities. Our young people and teachers, they experience tension and fighting and disrespect in schools. There's fighting within homes, within families. So be honest, church, you don't have to look too hard to see fighting and tension around you, do you? You know, so whether if it's around you or if it's with others or with yourself or with God, there's just fighting everywhere. And it doesn't seem to end. And it's sad and it's frustrating and it's heartbreaking. And at times it is completely overwhelming. So what do we do about it? What do you do? Today, James chapter 4 is going to tell us how to end wars. And I know that's a bold statement, but let's jump in. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. It's also going to be on your screen behind you. Um, I want to remind you that the author of this book is James, is Jesus' half-brother. Um, he is writing to Jewish Christians, who are, Jewish Christians who are in the first century. 
Um, and his purpose and goal of writing is to expose hypocritical um, behavior and practices and to teach right Christian behavior. The book of James is really a how-to book on Christian living. So James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what, fight, what causes fights and quarrels among you? We're just going to pause right there. Right? Christians have always been fighting. And you might think to yourself, no, no, surely Christians can get along and love and have peace with each other, right? Nope. No, you don't have to look too hard throughout Scripture to see that we've always been at war with each other. You know, Lot caused a clash with his uncle Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 13 and the family split apart. Absalom, he created so many problems for his father David. And even the disciples, they created problems for Jesus when they, when they argue um, with each other about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 9. I mean, who, who argues that in front of Jesus, in the front of the group? Even entire churches in the New Testament had issues with fighting and quarreling. Members of the Corinthian church, they were competing with each other uh, in public meetings and they were suing each other. The Galatian church, it says they were biting and devouring one another. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, he had to rebuke and pleaded with the Ephesian church to live in unity among each other. And now James is, is calling out the fighting and the quarreling among these first century Jewish Christians, this specific group. From chapter 2, we see that they're treating the rich better than the poor. Right? The rich got all the attention and the poor was ignored. The rich man was honored and the poor man was shamed disgraced. James addresses employment wars. Chapter 5 is going to speak of this one, but the rich had the power um, to control and to hurt the poor man. Workers and laborers, they didn't get their fair wage, or they didn't get a wage at all. James also refers in chapter 3 that there was fighting and conflict within the church. People were fighting over positions. They all wanted to be teachers and leaders but not to edify God and to build up the church, but it was about power and status and influence. James also points out in chapter four, we're gonna to get to this in just a little bit, but the Jewish Christians, they were speaking evil of one another and they're judging each other. It's the wrong use of the tongue here, church family. You know, it's, it's just so sad when Christians are at war with each other not only for their own sake of their own lives and their own peace, but the fact is that the world watches these wars, these things that we do. And it's no wonder why the church does not have the impact as it should. So we know we're at war with each other. But the question comes up is why are we at war with each other? And James answers this, question by explaining the second war that's going on. So look at verse 1 again, and we're going to read a little bit more. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So why are we at war with each other? 
It's because we're at war with ourselves. It is the sin inside of our hearts. It's our selfishness, our desires for ourselves, our self-seeking, our self-evaluating. Right? We talked about that hyperbole just a second ago. Did anyone catch how many times the word you was used in these three verses? I counted 15. What causes fights and quarrels? You do. And when people are motivated by self, when the only thing that they seek is their self, man, the result is just a miserable life. And one can't enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for what God has blessed them with, they complain about the blessings that they don't have. And that they can't get along with others because they're envious and they're jealous of what others have and what others do. And then do you know what happens after that? I've seen this. Shoot, I've, I've done this. Instead of seeking God's will, we tell God what he is supposed to do. We tell God how he's supposed to fix it, and then we get all angry when God doesn't answer that prayer, right? And then that anger and then that frustration, it spills out and over onto other people. So we're at war with others because we're at war with ourselves. But why are we at war with ourselves? James tells us that we're ultimately at war with ourselves because we are at war with God. Look at verse four with me. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, when sin entered the world, it caused conflict and fighting and rebellion against war with God. And we all declare war with God when we choose the world over God, when we choose God's enemies over God himself. In James 3 here, he mentions three enemies of God in this little section. And the first enemy is found in verse 4. The first enemy is the world. And by the world, we're talking about society. When we decide that the world matters more, when we decide that the world's opinions matter more, that the world's values are more important than God's, we become, as the text tells us, friends of the world. And friendship with the world in God's eyes is adultery. After all, we as Christians, as believers, we are married to Christ and we must be, we must be faithful to him and to him alone. The bottom line is, is this, the world is opposed to God and therefore it's an enemy of God. And you cannot be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. The second enemy that's pointed out here in verse five is the flesh, the flesh. 
It's our old nature, which is the evil desires within us. All right, there is a battle inside of all of us that wages. It's a conflict to choose the things of God or to choose the things that bring us pleasure, bring the flesh satisfaction. And I want to be very clear. When you choose to follow God, you don't get to do what you want. Okay, when he is on, th- on the throne in your life, that means you aren't. Okay, so the battle for our heart and mind is very, very real. And living to please the old nature, when you choose to live for your flesh, it means declaring war on God. The third enemy that we see here is in chapter 7, the devil. The devil. And the devil always opposes God. And one of his chief weapons against God is he's going to get Christians to focus on themselves. Okay, he's going to convince you that you can do it yourself, that you don't need God. Right, the devil, he's going to inflate your ego, and he's going to encourage Christians, hey, do it your way. You don't need God. Don't do it his way. And when the pride of man is elevated, it doesn't leave room for God's glory. So those are the three enemies of God. Right? We have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. So how do we overcome them? How do we have peace? How do we end the wars? Well, James is going to give us three instructions on how to do that. I'm going to read verse 7 again. Let's start there. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All right, the first instruction is found in verse 7. Submit to God. Submit to God. That word submit, it's a military term that means get into your proper rank. Surrender, submission is the only way to complete victory. Right? If there is any area in your life that you are holding back from submitting and surrendering to God, then you're going to have battles. Okay, if you give the devil even an inch, he is going to take it and he's going to use it to wage war in your life. So the way to resist the devil is to submit to God. Submission is an act. It is a choice of the will. So we need to put God in his proper rank. God is up here. We are down here. He is on the throne. He's the general. You aren't. The second instruction is going to come from chapter 8. It says, draw near to God. Draw near to God. What does that mean? How do we do this? Well, what this is talking about is talking about confession of sin and asking God to cleanse us. 
See, God's going to graciously draw near to us when we deal with the sin in our lives that kind of keep him at a distance. You see, God, he loves us passionately, and he's not going to share us with anybody else. He must have everything. He has to have complete control. And the person who is double-minded, the person who only gives half of themselves to God and then, then holds on to the other half for themselves, they're never truly going to be close to God. They're never going to be free from the wars. James then mentions some very specific actions in our lives that need to occur when we draw near to God. He uses the word here, cleanse your hands, wash your hands. This is the idea that, that we need to purify our actions and our behaviors and to change those things. You see, the way that we live matters. So as we submit to God, we're going to become aware of those things in our lives, those actions and behaviors that are simply unpleasing to God. The way we speak to people, our attitude toward things, toward issues in the world, our response when things don't go our way or when we don't like it. See, washing our hands, it's, it's a removal of those things from our lives. Sin cannot have any place in our lives. It is serious and it has serious consequences. It must be removed. It has to be washed away from our lives. So while washing our hands has to do with this idea of external behaviors, right, James mentions that we need to purify the inside. Purifying one's heart has to do with our, our thoughts and our motives. You can't love God and love the world. So as we bring awareness to our thoughts and motives, we confess them to God. We ask him to cleanse us. Church family, how much time do you spend confessing your sin to God? Confessing your selfishness. Confessing all those times that you've tried to sit on the throne in your life instead of letting, letting God take his rightful place. The third and final way to have peace in our lives and to end all wars is, is found in verse 10. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Submission to God, it means that it's going to bring an awareness to our own condition and our own shortcomings. As God draws near to us, we ought to have this sense of how completely unworthy we are next to a perfect and holy God. You should never find yourselves thinking you're equal or feeling you're equal with God. See, in ourselves, in our own actions, in our own life trophies, we're completely unworthy. Humbling ourselves, it means recognizing that we have a desperate dependence upon God and God alone. We don't deserve God's favor. And yet he reaches out to us in love. And he gives us worth. And he gives us our dignity despite all of our shortcomings. If you have never fully surrendered your lives to Jesus, 
then you're always going to be at war. God alone, he is all that we need. And he alone is enough. You see, we don't need the correct person sitting in the White House. We don't need new policy or better policy. We don't need a better paying job. It's not about the acceptance of others. Only God is the one who's going to bring us peace. Only he can. So we need to stop looking at what others have and what others do, and we need to look to Christ alone. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me now. It says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We have no right to judge others or to compare ourselves with others. See, in our arrogance when we judge someone, we forget about our own ugly sin, our own shortcomings. We forget about the fact that we're the ones who need needs God's grace and God's mercy. See, we have no right to give or to take away God's authority. He alone is the holy, perfect judge. We aren't. So we need to let him judge. Church family, you know, Jesus, he, he summed up the law as loving God and loving others. Right? So when we criticize others, when we judge others to a standard that we don't even keep, when we speak evil, you see, we're breaking God's law. And the more that we break God's law, the more that we're willing to accept it in our lives. And sin is going to lead us to war with God. And that's going to lead us to war with ourselves. And that's going to lead us to war with others. The only way for peace, the only way to end the wars, to end the tension, to end the fighting, is submit to God. Put him in his proper rank. Right? He's up here. You're down here. We need to draw near to God. We need to confess our sins and ask Him to cleanse us from the inside and out. And lastly, we need to humble yourself. Right? We can't do this on our own. Right? We're not worthy. We're not good enough. But God is. So we need to surrender to him. We need to give him everything. And we need to allow him to bring us peace and to end wars. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up. We're going to close the service by singing this song, I Surrender All. And if we're honest, this is a hard song to sing. Surrendering everything to Jesus is hard, but it's so worth it. I pray that as we sing, 
May this song be your heart's desire. That you do give everything to Jesus. That you do submit to Jesus. And church, what areas of your life are you holding on to? What parts of your life have you kept for yourself instead of giving over to Jesus? I pray that as we sing, may you reflect.